At this time, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for about five or six weeks. The famous Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And tonight we'll be wrapping it up in chapter 7. And if you recall, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. That Jesus sat down to teach his disciples. And there was a huge multitude there, but he's really focusing not on the multitude, but the people that are really being drawn by the Father to the Son, the disciples. And he's saying things that are really, at the time, revolutionary. The Beatitudes, salt and light. You've heard it, you know, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he said, you've heard of old, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you hate someone, then you're really on the road to that. And so he just took everything to a deeper, higher level. And then as he's come forward in chapter 7, he gave the warning. We saw this last week about the measure we judge, we judge of us. And discernment and how we share with people and persistence in asking, knocking, and seeking. So we, we left off with that last week. And so tonight we come forward to this very well-known phrase in verse 13 of chapter 7 where Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Then he says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. That's pretty important, therefore, in verse 20. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, so verse 24 isn't so much limited to what we just read, but really the sum total, if you will, of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him, and we can say or her, to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Again, we've spent five, six weeks in the most famous sermon in human history with the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we, we wrap it up with these passages. And the title of our message tonight is The Narrow Way because really we get the, we get the, the gate, enter by that gate, the narrow gate, and then we get these other statements about the false prophets or false teachers and people who say, oh, Lord, Lord, but they, they don't come in. They don't enter in. And we, we get some very powerful statements that really deal with eternity, 
salvation and the kingdom of heaven and to be assured that we're going to heaven, right? Like when you really think about it, as a minister for 35 years, when you really come to the apex of anything with people, people want to know they're going to heaven. We've seen the book of Acts, what must I do to be saved? And here Jesus really, this is about getting to heaven because he says the kingdom of heaven just like he did in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. And then he wrapped it up with, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here he says, the kingdom of heaven. To get into the kingdom of heaven, just because just we say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean we're getting into the kingdom of heaven. And we'll get to that in a moment. So the context is the narrow way. Jesus, of course, made it very clear in his ministry that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Most of you are very familiar with this passage, John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So he said, I am the way, I'm the only way. There are no other ways. And thus, people might say of believers or people that, anyone that shines for the Lord or you're sharing the gospel, like, well, you're narrow-minded. Well, it's a narrow gate. <laughs> but... What we want to always be sure to emphasize to people is, although Jesus, Jesus is exclusive for means by getting to heaven, by being made right with God through faith in the Son as our Savior, he is inclusive for those who want to come. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. And when someone wants to be saved and they look to Jesus to be saved, they can be saved. That's the simplicity of the gospel. So Jesus is exclusive, but he's also inclusive in that he invites people to himself. He said in Gospel of John, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And that's, that's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the shoeboxes going around the world. We are trying to lift up Jesus that young people, young kids around the world can be drawn to Jesus. That he'll be lifted up when they open that box. Because, you know, the UN feeds them. And all kinds of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, with billions of dollars funded by people who make us do things we don't want to do, they give them boxes too. But their boxes don't have the power of the Holy Spirit accompanying the gifts and the notes and the gospel message that we're giving with those shoe boxes. And that's what separates us from tens of thousands of foundations who fund money all over the world, plus governments, all kinds of foreign governments, do all kinds of benevolent things for people over the world. They give them a broad path with a piece of bread and sometimes a fresh well. But the church of Jesus Christ, we give the world Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. We make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. And that's what we exist to do. That's what we've done. That's what we're doing. That's what we'll do. And we'll keep on doing for centuries if the Lord tarries in his return. That's what separates us. The church represents the narrow gate. We represent Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He's the head, we're the body. He's the groom, we're the bride. It's just a beautiful thing when you think about it. It gives us such assurance when we're gathered here tonight because we can know, like Paul said, who I believed in and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. You really know what your faith is when you're facing eternity. 
And you really know what your faith is when you're sharing it with someone who's facing eternity. Doesn't happen for most of you too often, but it happens for me by vocation on a pretty regular basis. Now, this narrow gate, Jesus, in John chapter 10, he said he's the door. And then here there's a gate, it's a narrow gate, and we just quoted John 14, 6, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So he says to enter, the key word here in verse 13 is enter. Enter by the narrow gate. So we know in the harmony of scripture, Jesus is that gate. He's the door, he is the way. Now, in describing this gate, though, Jesus himself says that this way, this this narrow gate, it is difficult. Okay, it's difficult, but it leads to life. And there are few who find it. We've pretty much finished the historical books. We still have Esther on Tuesday night. But something I was thinking about, for those of you that have enjoyed the journey going through Chronicles and whatnot, looking at like the revival of Hezekiah and Josiah and these guys, is you see these Old Testament revivals where, for example, Hezekiah did a Passover and, and they did more people participated than for centuries prior. Same thing with Josiah, where they sent the messengers and people came from these tribes. And these were revivals. But even so, there's many people that mocked and more that didn't participate than did. The people of faith have always been a minority. The people of faith according to God's purposes in faith, according to his revelation. Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness. When Abraham believed the promises of God, declared to him by God in Genesis 14, he was believing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Not some random Eastern world religion or African uh, animist religion. He was believing the gospel. Because when God the Father called Abraham, he said, in your seed all nations will be blessed. And Abraham believed that. And then we're told in the New Testament, the seed is Jesus. Lest there be any confusion over that. So it's always been a narrow gate. When you look at Abraham in contrast to all the people around him in the promised land, when he went to the promised land, there's no one like him. It's always been, and even Israel in the Old Testament, they're a unique people. Of all the nations, they're the ones set apart. And they're a very small group of people. And even to this day, they're a miracle as an ethnic people group that were the people of covenant and still are in a way. We should never be surprised when we feel like there's very few people walking with the Lord. And even if we think there's a lot of people walking with the Lord, there there really isn't. The post-COVID world, regardless of denomination, almost every pastor would agree that one-third of their congregations disappeared during COVID and never came back. And I've always said this to you and to anyone who listened to me, if you ever need a reason not to go to church, COVID gave you plenty of them. It was a real easy weeding out process. See, the reason it's difficult is because the words of Jesus are difficult. Even back in chapter Five, when he said, if you hate someone, that's like murder. If you lust for her, that's like adultery. If you have to swear on a stack of Bibles, you're a liar. And the Ten Commandments say, you shall not lie. So he said things like, hey, we're not playing religion here. We're not playing Sunday stuff for an hour. This is the real deal. And he said, if you follow me, you must die to yourself. For what will profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? So it is difficult in the sense that 
the gospel transforms us and causes us to humble ourselves and to crucify our flesh and to die daily by choice, by surrendering to the Spirit and to the power of God and the call of God on our life. And that's not an easy thing to do. Some of my best quotes lately teaching have been on servanthood. I, I, I'm my own best critic. And I watch the game film just like Joe Burrow watching game film for the Bengals football or something. I watch game film. I watch every study. I listen to, them all, I listen to the audio and then I watch the, the video. And I, I, know what's, I know what sounds good, doesn't sound good. If you think, oh, he's struggling tonight. I know it. I saw the game film. I know it. But I've hit some good moments on servanthood. And I've shared them on social media. And what's interesting, I'll get three times more responses favorable if I'm talking about something with economics than if I'm talking about being a servant. If I say show up for work on time, I'll get, you know, X amount of likes. The one I posted this week was an epic quote on servanthood. And it was, oh, the context, it's, it's, it's a great quote. Least, least, least liked. Best quote all year on social media for me teaching from the pulpit. Least liked by anything on social media. Why? Because I'm talking about serving others. I'm talking about giving your life up for others. The context was Nehemiah. Remember we saw those who willingly offered themselves to stay in Jerusalem. There was, the leaders had to be there. There was a draft for the people would be pulled from it. One in ten would live in Jerusalem when the city is being rebuilt. But there were those who willingly offered themselves by choice and the people blessed them. That was the context. And I talked about just a little 25-second clip of those who offer themselves for something bigger than themselves. And in the end, that's what humanity actually honors at the end of the journey. See, there's no statues for selfish people and takers, are there? Statues are built for people that are givers. We have holidays for... MLK, we, we admire people like Mother Teresa. These are people who are givers who, whose cause was bigger than themselves and the things they could have done for themselves. But when you're 20, that's not appealing. But when you're 70, you're like, that was a good decision to live that way. Or you appreciate it more when you get to the end of the journey than the beginning. But you see, it's difficult. Salty the Singing Songbook used to say in the 80s, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And whether it's Salty singing or Pastor Chuck teaching it or me telling you in an Instagram in 2023, we don't really want to hear that. We want to, well, it's like in the 80s when I bought that t-shirt in Japan at Narita Airport, Ichiban. That's number one in Japanese. (laughs) That's the shirt I'm buying. I don't think at Narita Airport there's a shirt that said servant of all. I'm just thinking that shirt wasn't there. Ichiban is in all the stores back in the 80s at the airport. It's difficult because it humbles us, it breaks us. It requires us to esteem everyone more important than us. And even calls us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Thus, it is a difficult way. But nonetheless, Jesus said it's a way that leads to life. And it leads to abundant life here in time, space, and matter. Because the woman who lives this way is free. The man who lives this way is free. The young person who lives like this is free. And the older person who lives like this is free. Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And if we're living for the Lord and we want it, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. (laughs) This is so 
contrary to everything we see in the world when we walk out these doors. But the one who dies serving dies winning. And the one who wakes up serving has abundant life and no one can take it from them. You can't say that of the selfish person and the takers. You can't say they have abundant life. They may have billions of dollars, but they don't have abundant life. And not only abundant life, but eternal life. Because Jesus gives us eternal life. So he gives us the fullest life as a servant on, in his name, on behalf of his kingdom in this life, though it's difficult. And he promises the eternal life in us now, confirming the next dimension and the glory to come. It is difficult, and it leads, but it leads to life. So, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. It is difficult to enter it, but it's the right way, and it's the only way, and it's there for whoever wants to go that way. And remind that tonight, and when we pack these shoeboxes tonight, and we pray over them, and they go around the world, we're bringing this way to people, in many cases, who've never heard of the way, and may never again hear of the way, But this is the way that leads to life. This is our way of preaching the gospel tonight with what we're doing next door. But the second thing is beware of false prophets. So the first word is enter on the first segment, but then it's beware. We generally don't like bewares. We don't like warnings, but you do need warnings. And the Bible's filled with warnings. And we need to beware. We need to beware of what we meditate upon. We need to be aware of thoughts and ideas and words. And are they consistent with God's thoughts and words? Or are they inconsistent and at war with God's thoughts and words? We're told in 1 Thessalonians to test all things and hold fast that which is good. So the way to be aware is to test all things. But really, if the word is in, the word of God is in you, then you have the, the words there. And when something's presented to you, that would lead you astray from that, you can test it and know that that's not, that's not correct. In other parts of the New Testament, we are told there are many, many, many false prophets and false teachers. And there are. There are many different human philosophies, world religions, and even things that use systems or beliefs that include Jesus in various forms or ways, whether it's accurate or inaccurate concerning the historical person of Jesus as he's revealed in his scriptures, in the word of God. There are many wrong ways, but there is a consistency with the wrong ways, and, and that is the fruit that they produce. But the, what, what, the, what faith in Jesus produces is humility. That's always going to, you're going to always see humility where Jesus is working. That's a really good fruit. And since Paul the Apostle said that the apostles were under a death sentence before the Lord, in other words, like a spiritual death sentence, we know in leadership when you step up to be a deacon or enter in the ministry or lead worship or step into any ministry, in a way you're really under a death sentence. You're going to be attacked. And the attack is allowed by the Lord to refine you become, to refine you become more like the Lord. But, you know, I've been very transparent. You know, really, when you're the lead pastor, you're, just, you're, you're on display for a death sentence. I've said this before. You get some, not so much anymore, but maybe 20 years ago, you get some of these bumper stickers. Like, come to our church. It's the cool church or whatever. You know, it's like, 
<laughs> my pastor's cooler than your pastor's. I, he, I always said, you could put one with the WG logo and said, my pastor's under a death sentence. You should come watch him die. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> He's, you just watch him get hammered <laughs> uh, by, by the Lord. But it's for good. Every year there should be an increase in humility in our life. Every year there should be an increase in gratitude in our life. And every year there should be an increase in obedience in our life. And every year there should be an increase in faith in our life. And that's what we should see from leadership. And where men and women are growing in humility and growing in gratitude and growing in obedience and growing in faith, they're the people you want leading you, teaching you, inspiring you, and encouraging you. Because they're good fruit trees, and there's good fruit. Wherever, when there's the humility of the Lord and gratitude, there's just not pride and arrogance and discontentment. And then you bring in obedience. That's something God blesses. By the way, I've said this a few times lately. For years, I've emphasized faith as a key thing. But in my 62nd year, I realized that I think obedience, I've just, I've just kind of flipped the order. That obedience is more important than faith. So humility, gratitude, obedience. Because you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. But obedience, and see, faith is not knowing sometimes what's going on, but obedience knows what's going on. When I come to what I don't know, I fall back on what I do know, and I know what the Ten Commandments say by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And there's no mystery on that playbook. Obedience is an obvious thing with the Lord that you can always move toward every day. So for me, this year is the year I went from, it was always like, oh, it's, it's humility, it's gratitude, and it's faith. I'm like, mm, about halfway through this year, I'm thinking like, you know, it's, it goes like that. At least for me. I've been saying for years, every day my masterpiece is faith. I changed that this year. Every day my masterpiece is obedience. Because if I had all the faith in the world to move mountains, but I didn't obey the Lord, he can say to me, depart from me, I never knew you, because you just read the text too. I can do signs and wonders, cast out demons, and I can speak in tongues, I can do all this stuff. But if I've got lawlessness, which is disobedience to what we're called to obey, then, yeah. Age adds, adds clarity, you younger people. Age brings clarity. It does. Listen to me carefully. Age brings clarity. There's just less hype and fluff in your 60s. You want good health and a good finish and good fruit till you get there. There's less distractions, or there should be. Good fruit is always good fruit. So when we think about influences in our life, you know, the world would say this, but you, you would never ask advice from someone who you're not willing to trade places with. You would never ask financial advice from someone who you're not willing to trade places with. So if someone's had bankruptcies and foreclosures and all this kind of stuff, you, would never, you wouldn't ask them about financial advice if that's their current situation in life. If you've got money and you're investing money, you'd ask someone who's successful with real estate, someone who's successful with precious metals, someone who's successful with the stock market or cryptocurrency. And it, you see their success. Well, in the same way, your soul is way more important than temporal things. So when you think about who you allow to influence you with your soul and your spirit and your, your whole life, your marriage, your family, your kids, your job, your purpose, 
you want to make sure that whoever is influencing you, it's good fruit from a good fruit tree. You want to make sure it's good fruit from a good fruit tree. Someone was telling me they were listening to Pastor Chuck on the radio this week. And they're like, oh, you know, when you see your Pastor Chuck, you know, it's like, right. Because it's good fruit from a good fruit tree. If you told me you listen to Word for Today every day on K-Wave, I'd say, good for you. That's a really good thing. You just look at the fruit. So we're reminded that in the marketplace of thought and influences and ideas, whose voice is influencing us the most? Because I even pray for myself on a daily basis. I pray about, Lord, my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I need humility, gratitude, obedience, and faith. But that's my spirit, my thoughts. Lord, thinking God's thoughts after you, I need your word. I want to be reading through the Bible daily. I want to be reading my personal devotion daily. I want to be reading Proverbs daily. Just half a chapter, a whole chapter, read a couple chapters of Genesis, go through Numbers, go through Leviticus and think about it. See, that your thoughts are matching up with the Lord. Then when you sit around and you're thinking and you're taking a nap or you're waking up and you're half awake and you're meditating, you just meditate on where you left off in Genesis. Like Joseph had favor with, Potter, with Potiphar. And Potiphar trusted him with the whole business. Potiphar didn't even check the books. Potiphar didn't even go online and check the balance in the business accounts. Potiphar gave Joseph the passwords, everything. Power of attorney. Executive of the estate. Why did he believe his wife when his wife brought the accusations against Joseph? Did he know? Did he know it was his wife? He could go back and check the books and every zero was point zero zero. Joseph was proven, proven faithful. God gave him favor and God was with him in all things. I was thinking about Potiphar today. He lost the best employee you could ever have. He made him a ton of money and was trustworthy with all of it. And he wouldn't have intimacy with his wife when his wife was trying to seduce him every single day. And how awkward it must have been when Joseph came to power and was the most powerful man in the kingdom with the signet ring of Pharaoh. And when Potiphar would be like at the eighth row at the banquet and Joseph sitting at the table of importance would be like, because of course Joseph forgave him and he forgave Potiphar's wife too. What are you going to do? See, you meditate on the word. Think about those things. Because right after all went wrong for Joseph with Potiphar's house, we read that God blessed him when he was in the prison. God prospered him wherever he went. See, you need to think about those things, you young people. And you need to think about those things, you older people. When false accusations come against you and you give it to the Lord and you prosper in the next thing. And while it seems to the world you're going down, 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 you're actually going up, up, up. Because as you're going down, the character's going up. And then within just a couple of years, you're over everything in the most powerful kingdom in the world. See, that's what you need influencing your thoughts. Good fruit influencing your thoughts. The word of God influencing your thoughts. What we take in, what we think about, how it shapes our worldview, shapes our words when we speak. Because if you think about stuff like that, then when you're talking to people, you're thinking like that. So your words come out like that. But if you take in bad fruit, bad fruit, bad influences, then just, you're just bad fruit. Zig Ziglar called it stinking thinking. <laughs> it's easy to remember, right? Stinking thinking. You think the wrong things. You start thinking that the, maybe the wide path is the right way. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's validity to it. Maybe there's a way that seems right to a man that isn't there by death. No. 
There's a way that seems right to man, and it is death. And it's anything other than the person and the work of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. So we need, we need to think about the fruit of the things and the people that influence us. So beware. So enter and beware. That's what Jesus says. Beware. So WG, we want to be a good fruit tree, but more importantly, in the context here, we want to make sure we're influenced by good fruit trees. Really think about the people. As they say, the sum total of the five people most involved in your life. And the number one indicator of people that are going to do drugs are people that hang out with people who are doing drugs, right? That's alcohol, smoking, drugs, promiscuity. You hang out with people that do that, that's what happens. So let the word of God and godly people and godly books influence you in your thinking. Test all things. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Is there humility? Is there character? Is there growth? Is there truth? And does it inspire you for Jesus and eternity and good works by the Spirit? Then this last one, so we have enter and beware. Now here we have uh, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. This is interesting for a couple of reasons. There's not a whole lot of verses in the Bible that would imply what it might be like when we stand before the Lord. Let me say that again. There are not a whole lot of passages in the Bible, and that's all that matters, that imply for us what it will be like when we stand before the Lord. Now, we're all going to go in eternity. It's appointed to men to die once, and then the judgment. So, like, you know, you'd kind of like to know. You'd kind of like to get a scouting report, what to expect on the day of the Lord. What's it going to be like? But it's all, you know, eyes not seen or ear heard those things that God's prepared for those who love him. Okay, we don't get to see that game film. <laughs> Just got to believe it by faith. Paul saw the third heaven. He said, if I even describe one word, any dialect of humanity, it loses the value. It's devalued. So even trying to describe heaven, you lose the value of heaven immediately in our finite minds from an infinite God in the glory to come. That's pre- think about that for a minute. Isn't that pretty sobering if you think about it? That is really, that's a, that's a really, when you're ministering to people headed for eternity, they say, well, tell me what it's like. Well, it's unspeakable. It's glory beyond measure. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. This mortal is going to put on immortality. But we're just not going to know until we go. But we can get some ideas, like Matthew 25. Jesus says, you know, the faithful servant, the stewards, I gave you two, you got four. I gave you five, you got ten. Well done. So we do, and that deals with the return of Christ. So that, that's a parable. It's kind of, it's a, a parable is an earthly story teaching us a heavenly lesson. So Matthew 25 has that. And then we have this. Now we have where people see God's glory in his glory and they all fall down on their face. And we have descriptions of the Father's throne in Revelation 4 and Jesus in Revelation 5. But this is one of the only passages that gives us any kind of detail what's going to happen when we stand before the Lord. And this is an exhortation warning. It's a teaching, it's an exhortation, don't let it be you, and it's a warning. But really, as I even read this text tonight, I'll be honest, I'm not thinking about you, I kind of am, I'm thinking about me. And you're like, oh, I wonder if Joey's ready for that day, and he's like a Lord, Lord kind of guy. Don't worry about me, worry about you. This is a look in the mirror kind of text, right? Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And of course, Pastor Sam just two weeks ago on Tuesday taught about where the world, the books are opened. And the judgment happens, the great judgment of Jesus Christ. He said, the Father judges no one, but I judge. He gives all judgment to the Son. But we know for the believer, when we come to Christ, we pass from death to life. We have a positional righteousness. The Father sees us in the righteousness of the Son. And so we don't fear the judgment that way, but the judgment becomes like more like rewards or I would... Well, if you've ever been to a sports banquet for a high school sports team, you know, the end of the year awards banquet, you know, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, pitcher of the year, you know, batter of the year, all that kind of stuff. Usually the people that win things earn those things. You are not, you know, my son Luke was defensive player of the year his freshman year of football at Calvary Chapel. I went to every one of those frost soft games, and let me tell you, he was defensive player of the year. He lit people up on defense. And he won the award for spiritual leader, the Isaiah Award. And he was a spiritual leader because he prayed with his teammates, he listened to his coaches, he gave 110%. So they're at the awards banquet. He's walking out with two big trophies, Defensive Player of the Year and the Spiritual Isaiah Award. And even just a few weeks, a few months ago, even a month ago, they put him on a resume for a corporate job. Because those things are important. See, everyone at that banquet was on the Frost Soft football team with Coach Eddie G. They're all there with Coach Eddie Gonzalez. They all wore the uniforms. They all did that. David's Mighty Men is what Eddie G used to call him. Luke earned that award. He won it by one vote, the spiritual war over Chris Turner, his buddy, the running back. That's what I think the, the, the day of the Lord is like for us. And, you know, there are people, there are always people on every sports team, and you parents, you understand this, at a awards banquet, there's always someone that you knew had a lot of talent but didn't do more with it. There's always someone at a awards banquet where you're like, that guy could have been so much more. That girl could have been so much more for this team if she just wasn't so selfish. You didn't always talk back to the coach. She could have pitched almost every game for us, but she just was such an attitude issue. And could have, should have, would have. Like, if they'd come to practice, if they'd given more, every coach at the end of a season can look at their team. And I coached you know, world champion teams in surfing. And, and I could tell you, you know, like you would just know. We did year in awards, me and Brandon, Pastor Brandon with the U.S. Surf Team. We did year in awards. We gave awards for the end of the year. McKenna Burke, developmental team from Ventura. Catholic background, parents getting divorced. The year she was our standout on the like JV team. Straight A student at UCSD. Collegiate champion in surfing. She was always going to be that person. But there were some other girls that were better surfers, and Brandon knows. But their attitudes kept them. Even if you'd given him the certificate for uh, athlete of the year, like we gave McKenna Burke, it wouldn't have meant the same to him because they didn't even care. It's kind of like the kingdom. That's what it's like for us. That's what the, the judgment of believers is. It, it, it's just because it's rewards. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians that what we do will be tested by fire. And that which was of the right motive and that which was of a spiritual nature and of a kingdom nature, it's like 
diamonds and jewelry and gold, and it, it stands the test of fire. But the things that are just selfish and bad attitude and all these things, even though we're on the team and we're at the banquet, it gets consumed. It doesn't, it there's, here's, you know, you're a team member. Here's your team certificate, you know. And way back in 07, when we did the U.S. team the first time, I gave everyone like a medal. They had all these cool medals. I did the same thing with the Chilean team, too. Uh, you know, gave them all a medal. Because I, I thought, I want them to have something to remind them what this year was like, the training we did and all this stuff. But there's always people that stand out because they gave more and they get more. And that's what it's going to be like. For the positive. But this is the warning about people say, like, I was on the team. But Jesus said, we're going to say this. He says there are people. This is Jesus. Jesus says there are people going to say, you're Lord, you're the Lord, Lord, you're Lord, Lord. First John says we can't say that Jesus is Lord and not, not you know, you, well, kind of, yes, you can say Jesus is Lord and not really have it. So you say, how does someone who casts out demons and works miracles, how does that person not get into the kingdom who prophesy? So he says, he said three things. They, they prophesied, they prophesied. They, they spoke with authority. They cast out demons. I mean, you don't, you don't ever, yeah, that's, real, that's a real deal right there. When you're, that's the real deal. And many wonders, supernatural. There are people that are doing supernatural things who, when they stand before the Lord, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? Okay, why depart? Because of lawlessness. Now, so this is, teaches us something very important. In first, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talked about those who preach Christ with the wrong motive, but he rejoiced that nonetheless Christ was preached. And people, you know, I remember asking people like, so when someone does this whole thing and they do like a healing handkerchief and people touch it and they say they're healed or dancing around or falling over, whatever it is, like, is that the Lord or whatever? And, and, and you know, people I looked up to like Brian Broderson or Chuck be like, well, you know, and, but listen, Jesus honors his name. That's why someone can cast out demons in Jesus' name, even if they're not even going to heaven. That's why someone can work miracles even if they're not going into glory. That's why someone can preach with power the truth of the gospel even though they themselves are not saved because Jesus honors his name. And in this text, Jesus says, don't, don't, don't confuse me honoring my name with the supernatural with that which you're accountable for. Because we think, we think prophesying, casting out demons, and working miracles is doing a good work. That's Jesus honoring his name to save people. The good work is not walking in lawlessness and iniquity. New King James calls this iniquity. Excuse me, King James calls this word for lawlessness iniquity. And if you look it up in the Greek, it means to be rebellious to the law, a lawbreaker. What did Jesus teach on for three chapters here? The law as it's meant to be lived by the power of the Spirit. So the person who's not the real deal by the Spirit and is not obeying God's word, that's self-determined. That has nothing to do with signs and wonders, casting out demons and miracles or prophesying. This has to do with what kind of person we are is the real deal. Who we are as a woman of character and integrity. Who we are as a man of character and integrity. This is why I say my goal every year is to grow in the Lord. My goal every year is to be a better version of Jesus, enjoy a better joy version of Jesus in 2023 than 2022, an upgrade. 
That's my goal. It's a good goal for you. It's a good goal for anyone that's confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And the only way that happens is, is by walking in humility and having a grateful heart and obeying and living by faith. That's how that happens. So Jesus is telling us that what it really comes down to on the day of the Lord, whether we're Defensive Player of the Year or the Isaiah Award or whatever it might be, at the team banquet for King Jesus, what's, what's going to be a big... The real deal is, did we obey or didn't we didn't obey? Paul said to Corinthians, we run in such a way that to win... And then he says, I'm very careful lest I be disqualified by my behavior. Be disqualified from the race. If you've ever been disqualified in a sport, it is just a horrible feeling. Especially if you love the sport and you're really trying hard to win and you get disqualified. It's a terrible feeling. So, enter, beware, not everyone. So it's the narrow way, worship generation body of Christ. It's the narrow way. It's the narrow way. It's always been a narrow way. It's going to always be a narrow way. But it's the way that leads to life. It's the way that leads to life. In this life, you have a more, your life has full meaning in Christ. And it can be fulfilled to the fullest in Christ. Your marriage has a higher place it can go in Christ. To the highest level imaginable. Almost a full restoration of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, if you let it. Your children and your children's children and the fruit of the Spirit and the power of God in their life can just go to places you can't even imagine if you choose to obey the Lord. Honor your father and mother that be, may be well with you and that you may dwell in the land and live a long, fruitful life. It's all there. It's a good reminder. And when we're putting little messages in these shoeboxes tonight, you're planting a seed. You're watering a seed, and you're maybe bringing a harvest that people, these young people, as they grow up in their world of all the uncertainty and chaos that each country has, you're giving them hope. We're giving them hope. And supernaturally, we know these shoeboxes go everywhere where we could never go and do what we can never do because God's going to bless it. We want people, we want you to live this life. I want to live this life. I want to fulfill this life. You want to fulfill this life. And if you don't, you should. And we want others to know this life. And we exist to live this life and to declare this life. That's our purpose. And those who do so are, are like the woman or the man who build their house on a rock. And this closing exhortation I have for you is this. We know that life brings floods, rain, wind, and a beat down. We know that. Life is floods, winds, rain, and a beat down. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, economically, geopolitically. It's just the way it works in human experience. And we also know that the woman who chooses to follow Christ and obey his word will be a wise woman who builds up her house and does not tear it down. And we also know that the man who does the same thing will be the man blessed by the river like the tree whose, whose leaves come forth in every season because he delights himself in the law of the Lord. He meditates upon it, and he does it. So WG, a reminder as we finish the Sermon on the Mount tonight. Hear the words, obey the words, 
and build your house on the rock from here to eternity. In Jesus' name.